What's in the bag? A shark or something? Put the bunny back in the box. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasberry. This is Frank Pelican. You are listening to The Quick Cage, where Frank watches quick <laughs> Nick Cage movies so you don't have to. Um, I don't watch them quickly, if that's what you were about to say. I know. that's a, Yeah, the Quick and Nick um, you know, right. uh, tripped me up there. <sighs> All right. Sometimes got, they feel interminable. It's, yep. I mean... And this podcast is living proof of that. So, um, <clears throat> which Nick Cage movie are you going to tell us about tonight? Uh, so this week, we're going to talk about National Treasure Book of Secrets, mm. which is the sequel to National Treasure previously covered on the podcast in 2004. Uh, this movie was released in 2007. Um, returns the majority of the cast from the previous film. Uh, John Voight, Harvey Keitel, Diane Kruger, uh, Justin Bartha, Helen Mirren. Well, Helen Mirren's new for it, but um, also includes Ed Harris as the antagonist of the film. Um, I guess Disney's attempt to kind of recreate their own version of the Indiana Jones universe. Um, pretty much the same idea. <clears throat> and like, you know, we talked about it before. It's Nicolas Cage is a uh, history expert slash, I don't know, adventurer, seeker, archaeologist kind of thing. Um, the film, the second film follows the idea that, um, one of Cage's ancestors was present in Washington the day that Lincoln was assassinated and a group of, um, I don't know what they were like seditionists were trying to involve him in their plot to overthrow the government but he refused and was killed um and then in the present um while they're talking about uh the anniversary of this act uh, ed harris comes forward and kind of accuses um the ancestor of being involved being the mastermind behind the plot to assassinate lincoln um so then there's this big controversy like oh man the Gates family's roots lie in sedition or whatever. So okay, so just just refresh me real quick. Wasn't like a, a member of his family also involved with some shit with the Constitution and the Freemasons and shit in the first movie or something? Yeah, that's how it all like comes to. So it's always his fucking family, right? Because they're involved in the back pages of history throughout history. Okay. Right. At least American, at least American history. Who knows what the third movie is going to going to involve? But uh, sure, getting get ahead of ourselves a little bit. <laughs> right. Um. So, basically, Nick Cage is then spurred into action to try and um, prove his ancestors' innocence. Um, his father is really distraught. Um, it turns out that uh. Abigail Chase, who was um, Nick Cage's um, girlfriend in the first movie, um, played by Diane Kruger. Uh, they're estranged now um, because basically, like, he's a dick is what it boils down to. Sure. Like, he could never be wrong, and he always had to have his way, and she got tired of it. And to be fair, like, the character's kind of a dick in the movie. Um, so... They have this page from the diary that they use spectral imaging um, along with the kid, like the electronics expert from the first movie, um, that points to uh, this desk um, created by Laboulet in Paris, the guy that created the Statue of Liberty or whatever. 
Um, so then it turns out that it's the Resolute desk, the one that is in the Oval Office, but there's one in Paris. So they break into whatever it is in Paris um, and get a cipher out of the desk that's got some, I don't know, like Algonquin writing on it or some shit. Yeah. It's not Algonquin, but it's some Native American tribe that I can't remember. All right. So then they go and they have to break into the White House during the Easter egg hunt, but it, the cipher's missing from that desk. And there's this whole thing where he uses his, where Abigail uses like the infatuation of this guy that works for the White House to get them in. And then they pretend to lose an earring so in a cage can like crawl under the desk and find the secret um, compartment. Um, but the whole time, Ed Harris has cloned Nick Cage's cell phone. So, like, they're tracking their movements, him and his, like, evil cabal. Mm-hmm. So, they get the thing out of the desk. Then there's this huge car chase um, where they end up like Nick Cage using... Oh, hold on. That, 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 that happens in Paris. I'm sorry. There's this huge car chase where Nick Cage uses a speed camera to take a picture of the cypher so he can then throw the cypher into the water to get the bad guys off his tail. While they've like just destroyed like a large portion of like these city streets, um, nothing happens when they destroy the city streets. Nah, they just they just go to the United States and it's fine. Okay. Um. So then they decide that the only way that they're going to figure out what happened to this thing that was in the desk is to kidnap the president oh. because the presidents all have this thing called the president's book or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, is this the book of secrets yes it is indeed the book of secrets the, okay. the particular book of secrets where presidents write down in like really flowing like long form script like everything that like secret things that happen to him as president oh, like so UFOs um, and stuff like that yeah but they don't talk about that because it's not kingdom of the crystal skull so right um and these are legitimate questions, by the way, because I've actually never seen the sequel, so I only saw the it's first not one. Really, it's, it's not really worth seeing, we're going to get there. <laughs> so, Nicholas Cage, the president, recognizes him immediately because he's like this national hero. Who's the president? So, uh, oh, fuck. Who does play the president? Sam Neill, maybe? Sam Neill. Uh, let me see here. Hold on, that's, that, that, that's not right. Oh, Bruce Greenwood. Okay, Bruce Greenwood, sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's a good yeah, president. Not, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's real presidential. Um, I mean, Bruce Greenwood looks like a like a like a senator who would have a sex scandal. So I, it fits. I really like Bruce Greenwood a lot, but he look he has that look to him. So anyway, so the president's a big history buff, so they start like talking about the history of Mount Vernon, and Nicholas Cage um, Gates says, "Hey, there's these secret passages under Mount Vernon. You want to go explore them?" The president's like, "Fuck yeah, I do." So. They go in there, and then Cage, like, shuts the passage behind him after the president has left his Secret Service behind. And Cage is like, look, this is what I need. I need your help. And he's like, well, you realize you just kidnapped me. Do you know what that means? And he's like, of course, Mr. President, I know what that means. So then after kidnapping him and finding out about this book, which is stored in a secret compartment at the Library of Congress, he escapes, goes to Washington, breaks into the Library of Congress, Gets the information from this book, gets away. Like none of the Secret Service, you know, thousands of Secret Service agents that protect the president. No one can apprehend this one dude. Mm. And he then goes to Mount Rushmore because that's secretly where everything is. So Ed Harris meets him at Mount Rushmore and they have guns pulled on him. And he's like, Hey, Ed Harris, put your gun away because I'm the only one that can help you find. Um, the treasure that's revealed in these ciphers and Ed Harris reveals that the only reason that he wanted to do this was because his ancestor was part of the um, Lincoln assassination and he wants his family's name to. Um, oh, so he's like projecting on the Gates yeah, family to, to, to have meaning. So he wants to 
turns out it's the lost city of gold that's underneath Mount Rushmore. So they do all these puzzles and they like go down to these catacombs and then there's all tra- these traps and shit. Who's it's that? Actually, like uh, Nicholas Cage, um, Kruger, uh, Ben, who's the um, O'Reilly, who's the uh, electronics expert, um, John Voight and Helen Mirren and Ed Harris are all down in these catacombs. Okay. So it's basically like the end of the first movie where they're going down on that rickety like scaffolding. Right. <laughs> Almost exactly the same thing, except this is some like Native American trap. So it's like I can't even describe it. It's it's like a platform that's based on opinion. So you have to like shift your weight to different parts in order to advance, and so they have to figure that shit out. Does do tomahawk so, do tomahawks fly out if they don't? No, no, it's not that racist. Um okay. <clears throat> So they eventually um, go into the Lost City of Gold and everybody's all excited. And Ed Harris is like a good guy now, kind of, because it's like, cool, like, even though you were trying to kill us and kidnap us and extort information from us by framing our dead ancestor for, like, a heinous crime, like, because you're interested in history, like, now you're our buddy. What? So didn't something similar happen with Harvey Keitel in the first movie? Well, Harvey Keitel was the FBI agent in the first movie. Right. I mean, he's trying He's trying to catch him. He's not the bad right. guy. But they become friends, right? Yeah, they're friends in this movie, too. There's a couple scenes where, like, they meet with each other and have conversations and shit. All right. So this is like a... Um, okay. right. I'm, I'm, I want to impress upon you that it's difficult for me to put together the sequence of events of this movie because it's just not a very good movie, and it's only been, like, two days since I've watched it. So that should tell you something about how awesome this movie is anyway so of course what ha- said, real quick what happened to the president then you can continue with the last 20 minutes of this movie uh the secret service come and get him oh and there was just nothing like yeah he just ends up on the banks of the potomac or whatever okay um and there's like and so so cage just like escapes like all of it like yeah yeah and the president's like hey i understand what you're trying to do here's where the secret book is go go get it Oh, so that's when he leaves the president. Uh-huh. Oh, the president doesn't... Okay. He's, he's not right. with him or anything. He just is, he's, he's kidnapped for the length of time it takes him to go through the secret passage. Okay. Underneath Mount Vernon. Okay, it's just a plot device. Okay. Right, right, right. It's, it, it's, everything in this movie is, is fucking deus ex machina, so don't try and look for some kind of great meaning or anything in it. So anyway... I just so, thought it'd be kind of cool if the president was like in the lag, like, went, like went with him. Yeah, that, that, that'd be even less believable, but only a little bit. Um, so anyway, so a trap gets triggered, of course. The whole chamber starts to fill with water, of course. Because it's underneath the lake, too. Um, so Ed Harris is like, first he's like, we're getting out of here and I'm going to be the one that gets out of here. Somebody has to stay behind. And I swear to God, like, I got up to get a drink and I came back and Ed Harris is the one sacrificing himself to hold open this door so everybody can, like, get out. So I don't know what happened in that 45 seconds to, like, change the entire, like, tenor of that scene, but it happened. And Ed Harris... I want, I, you, you, you make it up and just tell me what happened. Uh, Nick Cage said, but I got to clear my father's, my grandfather's name. And Ed Harris was like, right. You're right. Out of the you, guilt that he feels for... Yeah, he does feel, projecting. Yeah, he he does says he does feel guilty about doing that. Mm. He felt like it was the only way he could get Gates to help him. Although Gates, like, you just tell him, like, hey, here's this mystery, and that dude's like out abandoning his family and off like seeking the adventure, so what the fuck ever. Dynamic character. Um, okay. Yeah. So they all escape and when they come out of the Tomb of Secrets, or not Tomb of Secrets, it's the book of when they come out of the fucking City of Gold. Um, the FBI is there to arrest them, but then the president says, "Because president's there, I think mm-hmm. is like, oh, the president's now there. I believe so. Hmm. Okay. So anyway, so everything works out fine because their name gets cleared, and Gates um tells everyone that um he got a." So the president clears Gates's name by saying, no, he was helping to save me. And then Gates is like, 
we found the city of gold, but it was really Ed Harris that helped us find it so he can get credit so his family can feel good about that at the end. Hmm. Um, so then everything works out okay, and Yates and um, the girl, uh, uh, Diane Kruger, are back together. Um, Abigail Chase. Um, and they're all back in there. Uh, John Boyd and Helen Mirren are down in the lost city of gold where they've apparently drained all the water and <clears throat> disabled all the traps and there they're excavating it. And so that's, um, that's it. Oh, that's did you give me the too long, didn't read version of this again? How did we get from Lincoln's assassination to a city of gold? <sighs> Underneath Mount Rushmore, like what is the connect? Like how did and so, how does any of that connect? Well, it's difficult. And now that it, you mentioned that, I realized that I don't know if I can directly tell you. So, it was the Knights of Knights of the Golden Circle, which were these Confederate sympathizers, yeah. were the group that Ed, Ed Harris's ancestor belonged to. Mm-hmm. Nick Cage's ancestor, the Gates ancestor, um was a historian and public servant that the golden circle tried to use his knowledge of ciphers to figure out where this treasure was so they could fund their organization. Mm -hmm. But he refused because he knew they were going to assassinate Lincoln. So then they assassinate him. Um, So Ed Harris is trying to, Frame the Gates ancestor as being part of the Lincoln assassination. So the Ben Ben Gates, um, Benjamin Franklin Gates is Nick Gates' name, fucking ridiculous. Um, trying to use that as leverage to get him to solve the cipher where his ancestor never would. Okay. So that's why they're like going through all this shit. Okay. So it's a very, it's really just using the historical backdrop of like an event that most Americans would recognize Mm -hmm. to kind of provide that loose historical context. So it's not just an Indiana Jones movie. Right. Basically, because that's the whole thing with the National Treasure series is that they try and make it. I mean, there's no like true like historical context to most of it, but they try and make it where you feel like you're getting some historical context. So it's not just like. Right. Adventures or whatever. Sure, right. Uh, yeah, because uh, Indiana Jones is like too too foreign, right, for um, this time period in America, I suppose. Yeah, even though they're over in Paris and shit. Well, they destroy Paris, right, and then suffer no consequences, so that's cool. Well, except that Nick Cage they... befriends a constable because he can speak French a little bit. Oh, okay. And, like, that's all that it takes. Because but he's... An, they become he's... Best... Okay. Right. They become best buds. Yeah. Well, he seems like he becomes best buds with everybody in this fucking movie. Yeah, and then Riley, the kid that's the computer expert, um, he gets all like butthurt because he's like, "Oh, I thought we were best friends." Now you got a new best friend in this cop. Is like, this guy the cool. same guy that was in the first movie? Justin Barthy, yeah. Okay. For some reason, I picture Steve Zahn in this role all the time in my mind. It's that's close. I mean, he pretty much is like the poor man's Steve Zahn, where the poor man's um. What's that fucker's name? What's the guy that did the, I think the Apple ads? Justin Long. Well, I don't know. Justin Long is just Justin Long, I think. I mean, Steve, Steve Zahn's character in Sahara is pretty much the same as... Maybe that's why it is. Yeah, that's a good call. This, this um, Justin Bartha's character in uh, the National Treasure series. Okay, out of the two National Treasure movies in Sahara, which is the best movie? Oh, Sahara. Okay. Far. Sarah's a great movie. Yeah, well, I remember us really enjoying that in the theater, and um, nobody really liking it. Yeah, I don't know why. I think Sahara's a really fun movie. I think it's it's if you want to talk about like a true successor to those nineteen eighties like adventure movies, like Romancing the Stone and the Indiana Jones movies, and right, yeah, um, what is it, King Solomon's Mine or whatever, like all that stuff. I think that it's Sahara is the movie that's the true. Like, you know, 
spiritual successor to this thing. Right. So just um, quick, just quickly, it has a thirty-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, Sahara, and it came out right in between these two movies. Um, it comes out in 05, while the first National Treasure is 04, and this one's 07. Um, so a 38% of Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 5.2 uh, average rating on Metacritic. Um, and then, although CinemaScore actually ends up having it as a B plus, um, which is interesting. Oh, that's audiences, sorry. So audiences enjoyed it much more than critics did. Interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't get why people would dislike it, except maybe it's such a throwback that it feels kind of like out of place. Yeah, you know, it's like kind of like a movie out of its, out of the time where it would have been successful. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was a really fun movie. Um, Do you think it because it just flopped in the box office that that just gets held against it? Yeah, but all those reviews would have been contemporaneous before it had a chance to flop, so who knows? Right. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, I don't know. National Treasure is also a thirty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes from critic scores, so the first one? Hmm. Oh, this one? This one, yeah. Hmm. So it might just be that maybe critics were jaded and yeah. Just being assholes. The first I mean, one, the first one's only a forty six percent national treasure. Yeah, look, I enjoy the first national treasure quite a bit. Like right. I, I thought yeah. it was a fun movie. It's just like this is the exact same movie almost. Okay, so here's some some major problems with this movie. I mean, number one, like the original movie had a ludicrous plot as well, but it felt more earned because at that point, like they were kind of this disgraced family of like historians and I don't know. There was, there was a reason for them to be like doing all this crazy shit. Whereas like in this one, like they've gotten their reputation back and he's like world renowned. Like he's like a global hero basically and recognized by a bunch of people. Like people know who he is. So, and then you you can't have a movie with no bad guy, I think. Like, especially when it's a movie like this where the whole premise is like a race against time and a race against the villains to uncover, you know, whatever. Like, this mystery, which is fine if, if that's the movie that you're telling. But, like, turning Ed Harris into one of the good guys you know, 70% of the way through the movie when he's been, I mean, he's like, I, I texted you when I was watching this and I was saying that like Ed Harris is basically like the quintessential 2000s like villain. Like he's just, he always plays, it's the same character. It's the same character as the History. guy from The Rock. It's the same character as the guy from History of Violence. Right. Like this grizzled, yeah, rough guy that has this pretense of having like a moral code, but in reality is just like willing to do whatever it takes, you know, to achieve like it, like whatever, like the means to the end don't matter as long as he gets what he wants in the end. Sure. And he's got, that and, he's got that gizzard to back it up too, like that, like a little bit of like a loose flap of skin, like under his neck that like, you know, just signifies like oh, yeah. you're, you're a villain. <clears throat> that and like the fact that his wrinkles have like got wrinkles on his eyes. And mm-hmm. so it always looks like he's like kind of like squint glaring at you. Yeah. Um, but then like 70% of the way through the movie, you're just like, nah, man, you, you misinterpreted all the terrible things this guy did. Um, he's a good guy now. Right. And then he sacrifices himself. Like, literally, he has the best character arc in the whole movie in the sense of, like, right. the person that you really are supposed to feel the most for. And he's been your villain the entire time. So it's just it's just right. a really oddly tone-deaf, <laughs> like, way to end the film. Yeah, I mean Nicholas Cage is your hero, for better or worse. Let him be your fucking hero, right? Like right. let him be the one that saves the day, and have them think that he sacrificed himself, and then 
you find that somehow like he made it out. I don't know. I mean, you could like change two scenes. Oh, and Ed Harris has like this whole contingent of mercenaries who are more than willing to like shoot at people and kill people. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, nah, they don't matter. Like they're gone. No, I like, didn't here, for- hold 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 my AR fifteen while I go into this tomb. <laughs> and then like that's just never heard from again. Right. I didn't mention this during the Indiana Jones podcast from a few months ago, but maybe that's, and then I didn't think up until you just said this, but maybe that's why Temple of Doom really is my favorite is because it's actually the hero doing something proactive to win, you know, for the lack of a better term. Like yeah, It's definitely where Indiana is the most heroic. Right, because it's like Raiders of the Lost Ark, as great as that movie is, it's like at the the end is like, you know, uh, an act of, um, um, is a passive act of, of supplementing oneself, right? I mean, yeah. um, uh, I guess he's heroic at the end of the third one. Um, yeah, but, but he's doing it because, I don't know, he's doing it to save his dad. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe that's what it is because yeah, the hero has to be the hero, and yeah, it doesn't sound like Nicolas Cage is necessarily very heroic in this. Plus, he's got too many people with him. Yeah, he's always got a ton of people running around with him. Why is there and so many always, people? And he's always like putting other people in like serious harm's way, including his <laughs> elderly parents. Right. <laughs> right. And this is two. This is two ties that he's put John Boyd in mortal danger. Right. Yeah, and John Boyd don't want got, don't want nothing to do with it either time until like Nick Cage is like, nah, but come on, like you gotta save the family name. Like, what are you being such a such a wuss for? And then John Boyd's like, all right, well, and I don't like John Boyd as a person very much, so it's it's hard for me to sympathize with him right. as a character because I can't really like. It's difficult to separate sometimes, but sure. At the same time, like he's just this doddering old fool for the most part. He's like that he way. Really, I mean, honestly, you can say he's that way in real life as well. But I mean, he's really just a grandpa. Like he's just a grandpa right, sure. getting drug along, right? On his son's madcap schemes, his son that's like putting you in, like, like making you commit felonies, basically, like federal felonies, in order to, um, whatever, like, prove that he's right about something. <laughs> They're really. I mean, it's fucking Bruckheimer, so what do you expect? He's the producer. It, John Turtletaub is the... Well, okay, so yeah, I have two things that I want to bring up, and I think that's all I, I, I have to bring up about this movie. This this movie sounds like a really... Your description of it just made it sound like a really asinine, paint-by-numbers sequel that just followed a lot of things from the original movie. Um, <clears throat> but... One thing I want to bring up is how do you pronounce the turtle turtle top? Turtle top. Okay. Fuck it. He should be a Sly Cooper character. Um <clears throat> uh, he's, 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 he's Bentley's like evil cousin. Right, yeah. <laughs> turtle top. <laughs> okay, so I'm looking at this guy's filmography, right? Um and these first two movies. I don't think I know it all, which is Think Big and Driving Me Crazy. I don't think I'm familiar with either of these movies. Then he does Three Ninjas in 1992. Then he does Cool Runnings. Then he does While You Were Sleeping. Then he does Phenomenon. Then he does Instinct, which is the uh, Hopkins... One of the, one of the secret funniest movies like ever made, honestly. Instinct is? Yes. Okay. I thought that's where gonna, um, that's thought where you're... Anthony Hopkins thinks he's a monkey. Mm, okay, okay. I've never seen that movie. Um, I've seen those other ones that I just referenced, but I, I've never seen. Um, then he does the Disney's The Kid, um, which is what is this? A forty-year-old image consultant who is mysteriously confronted by an eight-year-old version of himself, which is uh, stars Bruce Willis. Um, then he does the two National Treasures movies, then The Sorcerer's Apprentice, which you still haven't talked about on this podcast. And yeah. then he does 
Last Vegas, which is a bunch of old men, Michael Douglas, Robert De Niro, Kevin Klein, and Morgan Freeman, I guess, going to Vegas for the last time or something for an old man bachelor party. It's the bachelor party, yeah. And then um, The Meg, which looks like some kind of deep sea shit. It's the best movie he ever made. The Meg is? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was going to be my question, but it's like, that was one of my questions about him is what's his best movie here? Okay. And then it's like, there's... Although Instinct is fucking hilarious. I mean, there's some pretty iconic shit here, like, not good necessarily, but iconic shit. Like, most, most people know Three Ninjas, like, from our generation. Everybody knows Cool Runnings as at least a punchline, like, from our generation. Sure. Um, I think everybody knows While You Were Sleeping because it's the, basically, it's the follow-up to Speed for Sandra Bullock, right? Yes. Everybody saw the trailer, at least, right? I mean, with her and Bill Pullman. Um. Yeah, I remember the trailer short. I've never yeah. seen that movie. I've seen the movie. Um, it's whatever. Um, it's a it's a fucking rom com with a you know amnesia plot. I mean, come on. Um, but it's fine. Phenomenon, which I don't know, is is it's a joke, right? Like among people that know movies that have seen it among our generation, right? What's the joke? I mean, just in the sense that it's bad. Like it's just ridiculous. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a terrible movie. That's what I'm saying, right? It's a, it's a joke of a movie. Um, that instinct, what I've never seen, what you're saying is a joke of a movie. Oh my god, it's awful. Okay, and then National Treasure, and then The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Okay, last that Vegas. was that was John Travolta's run of like the worst movies ever, like right. Brat and Michael and right. Battlefield Earth and right. Um, well, right, White Man's Burden. Because like, after it gets shorty, shit. he just does a nosedive, right? Um, oh, yeah, he does the worst, the worst films. Um, let's let's look at this real quick. Um, okay, so he does get shorty. Then it's yeah, okay. Then it's White Man's Burden, Michael Phenomenon. Um, oh, there's a short film that's an orientation for Scientology information. Uh, Broken mm. Arrow, which I will defend having watched that movie last year again, that it's okay. Um, not great, but okay. And then Mad City. I remember that movie. That's that's not good. And then Face Off, which is famous but not very good um do you like that Cassavetes movie she's so lovely i don't know that i've ever seen it oh is that the one with um what's her name sean penn and robin robin wright penn yeah robin wright penn yeah uh yeah that movie's fine right then he does a civil action thin red line primary colors general's daughter battlefield earth And then it just goes downhill. Although he is in Swordfish, I don't know how you feel about that movie, but it's terrible. Um, yeah, I I didn't like it, but we've we've never discussed Swordfish once in our entire lives. Um, yeah, Swordfish could get um. This is bad, man. This is very new to be right. This is this is a fucking. It just becomes atrocious. Yeah, it's it's. He said some terrible stuff. Okay. Well, for my, you know, thumper. Uh, Bolt. Bolt is a good animated movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, really he's, he's doing shtick in the taking a Pelham one two three remake, which is not a good movie necessarily. It's only kind of slightly held together by Denzel being Denzel, but um, he's fine in that like he's just doing the broken arrow character um but that's fine i mean in that like kind of like thumper what did your father tell you type thing just so i'm not gonna like just destroy john travolta here he's fucking fantastic um uh in the shapiro role in people versus oj so that's i can say that that good about him 
he's really good in um Ty West's uh, In a Valley of Violence. No, I've never seen that. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's um him, Ethan Hawke, Dysa farming a hmm. um carrying carrying. Oh, is that that movie that was trending um like four or five months ago out of nowhere on Netflix? I don't know. I I told you about it a couple of years ago when I. Yeah, that that is like it was suddenly like it was like a weird thing that was trending in the top ten, um, out of nowhere, and um, I remember Ethan Hawke was in it. It was a western, so that's probably it. I mean, I had forgotten because a lot of the movies that you talk about, like on the podcast, um, sometimes like there are these little known movies when they get on Netflix, they tend. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if you pay attention. They tend to like end up like trending for a few days on in the top ten. Um, what's the most recent one? Um, out of those, uh, uh Clove Hitch Killer hmm. got on Netflix, yeah, pretty- and it's it's been in the top ten for like a week or so now. Like, I did notice that when I was scrolling through Netflix the other day, I didn't really think anything of it. Yeah, you you have, you have a good track record with like these like little known movies, and then when they get on Netflix, like they trend in the top ten for a few days. Yeah. All right. Well, so I have so much of it. Right. So the only other thing I have here that I wanted to bring up is do you know about so there is a National Treasure 3 that is going to come out. It's yeah. Um oh, oh there we go. I found it again. So there is the National Treasure 3. It's been in development hell for like apparently like almost like 10 years. Um uh, where they like kept getting close to a script, and then in January 2020, um, they won to development by hiring a new scriptwriter, and and um, he's the you know Bruckheimer saying he's going to try to get all the original principals to reprise their roles. Um, I don't know how fucking John Boyd is by this point, but whatever. Um, so not only is that happening, but there is also a television series coming on Disney Plus, um, next year I think. Um, it was just greenlit, greenlit recently. Um, so it's going to focus on younger characters. It is going to be written by the same people that have written the first two movies. Uh, Marianne and Cormac Wimberly. Um, but I want you to, and look, this is not shitting on anything like in terms of like, you know, representation whatsoever, but tell me if this is not a 2021 synopsis for a tv show so this series the national treasure series is going to follow a hispanic latino american lead character named jess morales who is a 20 year old dreamer that sets off on an exploration to discover the mystery of her family history and with the help of friends seeks to recover historical lost treasure uh i don't know it sounds like a disney channel thing right yeah well it sounds like uh, sounds like a Netflix thing. It sounds like a Disney Channel thing. It sounds like HBO Max thing. Like, I mean, uh, Disney. Because remember, I had to watch Disney Channel shit with Frankie. Right. I mean, that you, you just basically maybe not the treasure hunting, but like that's every one of their fucking movies is the same. Like pretty much the same plot. Yeah. But I mean, to their credit, like they're trying to make movies that young girls and people of color can like associate sure no that's what i'm saying i'm not saying it's just that you're going to take this series and look they could do something really interesting with it if they did it the right way i just don't necessarily after the description of what you gave me of this movie um trust um marianne and cormac whipperly um to to nail it you know (laughs) You never know. Look, right. I just hope that the third movie isn't an absolute piece of shit. Right, something I'm going to have to watch. Well, it's something you're going to have to watch like a year and a half from now or something like that. And um, yeah, when we res- resurrect the fucking quick cage, probably for like the fucking eighth time by that point, because <clears throat> yeah. that motherfucker doesn't stop. Just keeps making movies. That's fine. Or it's not. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> I was reading this article this week um, about 
basically what happened in John Cusack's career. And it was this person that was just looking at his career in the past 10 years in terms of making money. And basically ended up becoming like an argument for people like Nick Cage that they realized at one point they can do a variety of roles by still pulling in at least five million a picture um, because they still have name value and name recognition. So basically it's these people that just like want a vanity movie and want to put money behind it. And because they have name value, they can just like basically like command two to five million dollars per movie and come in, do it in the course of either, depending on their role, four to five days to three weeks and be done, make their money, move on, and that's it. And basically, it's just a way to just con consistently make bank. And Kuzak ended up doing that. And the Cage, and I talked about Bruce Willis doing the same thing. Um, so it does seem like a very efficient way um, to make money if you just care about making money. Really? What does it matter? Really? Right. Right. Because well, as we've noted, Cage does take interest in certain roles, it seems, right? Like, yeah, there's certain things he does that are low-budget <coughs> direct-to-video where you still get a decent performance out of them, or right. it's still an interesting enough movie. Sure. Yeah, because it's like, what? Well, the crossover there is right. What, Frozen Ground, right? I mean... Frozen Ground, and um, it wasn't very good, but they were both in Arsenal together, too. Mm, gotcha. The um, sequel to uh, Deadfall. That's their double crossover. Plus Con Air, if you want to go back further. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. An adaptation, although it's just a cameo and adaptation. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I don't remember that. But did you mention that? I don't remember we... either. No, I didn't know it. <laughs> I'm just scrolling back through Kuzak's... Um filmography making movies for it. they they pretty much have been making movies for the exact same length of time I'm an old uh, Nikki interesting so the guy that directed um Sahara oh that's interesting so he directed Sahara. Yeah, Brett Eisenberg. Yeah. Then he directed The Crazies. Then he directed The Last Witch Hunter. That's it for feature films. But uh, it looks like he's also directed a number of episodes of The Expanse as well. Um, which I had no idea of. I thought that Brett Eisner was a um, Jerry Bruckheimer product. Just like Simon West. Hmm. I might be wrong about that. Uh. Yeah, that last Witch Hunter movie is not very good either. Right. And I'm not a huge fan of the crazies. Right. What I saw of it before yeah. falling asleep in the theater. <laughs> Did you fall asleep in the theater? Oh, oh my god, yes. Because we watched that together, like right? Yeah, me, you, and Chuck. I, I slept through like 70% of that movie. Um, I, um, yeah, The Crazies isn't, isn't good. I was really interested in The Crazies, um, when it came out, like, because I, I don't know if you remember me saying this, like, because you made me watch, I had never seen The Crazies until like, maybe like 04, something like that. Um, the original, and I remember saying, like, The Crazies would be, is one of those movies that actually needs to be remade, and then, then they fucking ended up, re how did we end up watching this movie? I wasn't watching movies in 2010. Anyway, um, I was really excited because it was like, I always said The Crazies was a movie that needed to be remade. If they remade it, it could actually be alright. And then, um, then Timmy Oliphant was in it, and I was like, oh, okay, and then, yeah, it's not very good. 
I mean, I feel like you and Chuck forced me to go see it. Yeah, probably. Oh. I, I don't know. I can't speak for Chuck, but I, I, I just have this feeling it's like probably like that both Chuck and I have like a man crush on Timothy Oliphant. So. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I, I should watch it again. I yep. remember there was a couple interesting things in the beginning, like where it's doing the the creepy like lead up to revealing like what's actually going on in the town or whatever. Yeah. I watched it last year. Um it felt like a very empty movie as I recall. Yes. Yes. Like but there's I, nothing like really like exists in the world. Yeah, it is. That uh, it's, uh, it's absolutely accurate. Um I I probably thought I didn't think a lot of it from when we saw it and then watching it again last year I probably thought a little less. So yeah. Well, maybe I won't watch it again. Easter enjoyed it though, I think. Yeah. I mean it, it shows up on a lot of lists for like best movies of the two thousands. Best horror movies, I mean. That's crazy. Okay. Sarah's good though. I like Sarah. Me too. You want some grades? Oh, yeah, sure. Frank trying to end this podcast, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, no, it's whatever. Just I wanted I wanna I want I wanna put a a pin in fucking national treasure. Oh, okay. Um the Nick Cage performance is like a six out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um it's Action Hero Cage, which is like kind of boring most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh the movie itself is like a, a four out of ten. I mean it's just not a very good movie. And mostly just because like it just never knows what it wants to be, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Like it wants so desperately to be fucking Indiana Jones, but it's never going to be Indiana Jones. Yeah. But then it also wants to try and force you into like knowing things about history. But it does <laughs> it by completely like manufacturing like historical facts. Right. So I don't. Well, shit. It has more in common with 2021 than it does 2007, doesn't it? Yeah, I also think that was the Disney, like, still trying to put out things that had merit beyond just being entertainment at that point so i don't what 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 do you what merit like this is before disney is into like star wars money and marvel money Mm. so disney movies are movies that you draw people out because of the disney tag on it right it's like disney's the kid right like that i was just for national treasure it's like oh this is the educational alternative to the like big action movies with this inoffensive action star Nick Cage but it's still Nick Cage and still just he's still a dick I mean look you know parents much better than I do certainly around this time um here are there really parents that sit there and like look at this movie and say like I can take my kid to this because it's educational no it's because of the way they sold it Mm. like it was very much I mean, it really looked like the trailers made it look like an Indiana Jones movie for the most part. Right. You know, it's them going underneath the Library of Congress and them stealing the Constitution in the first one. And then this one is like, oh, here they are sliding around inside some dark tombs and looking for ciphers. And I don't know. Anyway, we'll see what the third one's like. Right. All right, so you are now complete 2007, which consisted right. of Next, Ghost Rider, and Book of Secrets. Cool. All what are, three what, phenomenal what, movies. What's the best movie out of Next, Book of Secrets, and Ghost Rider? What's the best movie or what's the most entertaining movie? What's the best movie? Uh, Book of Secrets is the best movie. What's the most entertaining movie? <sighs> Next, next, and Ghost Rider both have some pretty entertaining moments. Ghost Rider is probably start to finish a more entertaining movie, and it's just because it's so ridiculous and it has so many like classic, like Nick Cage, like overreactions and 
googly eyed, like I don't know, like fucking priest orgasm from um, face off reaction shots and stuff. Right. Although right. Ghost Rider Two is a much funnier movie than Ghost Rider One. Mm. Ghost Rider Two is completely like out of its mind. So right. So, Frank, you're paying. Just so you know, you're painting yourself into a corner here. How you figure? You you, you just keep prolonging certain things that you don't want to watch to where you're going to end up watching like it, it is the the string of like the last like three months of this podcast um is either going to be hilarious or just the most depressing thing yeah some of those 80s movies might be fine I mean, you know, fucking Firebirds and Birdie and Cotton Club and all that shit. I think Firebirds is pretty reviled. Um, yeah, but I like helicopters. I mean, I'm basically <laughs> like a five-year-old in that respect. So. <laughs> you laugh, but I like I like movies with helicopters. There's something that it, there's something that I was I was like yeah I was going to do something but I realized it's very insensitive I can't do that in public. One of uh, my favorite toys when I was a kid was the um, tomahawk chopper, the GI Joe with the double <laughs> rotator rotor blades on it. Like I had so many like fun adventures like playing with a fucking helicopter and when I watch helicopter movies, it's just kind of like um it it hits me in like the right nostalgia spot in some ways so. Well, yeah, we'll see how that plays out. We'll see. I'm just saying, you're it, it's 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 getting bleak. It's getting bleak, buddy. Like, who are you telling? I'm the one that's gonna sit here every week and like flip through and be like, oh, oh I gotta watch that. Oh, no, I I can't do Men of Honor or USS Indianapolis. I gotta go. I gotta do something else. Hey, we it, were sitting here the other night, Frankie and I. Going through, um, when you type in Nicolas Cage into Prime and just like sort, and I went like three minutes and had seen every single movie. Right, like I couldn't find a movie I hadn't seen, so it, it's it's fine because at least then there's a sense of accomplishment. Right, I'm just saying it's it's right. Rubbing in, that's fine. I watch other stuff in between, so I'm I'm good. Charge yourself. I'm watching yeah. this really good anime series right now that I'm surprised by. Is this the so, one that Orion no, is? No, no. Oh, okay, different. That's anime that's, series. that's Demon Hunter. That's on Netflix. Oh, okay. Gotcha. This is called the Vinland Saga. It's about a um a Viking kid during like the ten hundreds or whatever, ten forty two. Who's like basically kidnapped by this group of pirates? It's kind of like the um, if you think about like the backstory of Princess Bride with um the Dread Pirate Roberts, mm-hmm. like I'll probably kill you tomorrow, Wesley thing. Right. It's basically that same premise, um, but more serious. Hmm. Where it's like this pirate captain kills this kid's father, and then the kid stows away aboard their ship so he can seek vengeance. But basically, like the pirate captain kind of becomes like a surrogate father to him because the kid refuses to give up like trying to kill him basically hmm. and they kind of form this bond it's, it's 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 pretty entertaining how many episodes is that 24 i think okay so it's not like a traditional anime where there's like fucking 120 episodes or something like that honestly most anime is only like 10 episodes usually it's it's the series like you're thinking of like naruto or one piece or right yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever where it's mm-hmm. like hundreds of episodes yeah it, it's it's 24 and one season and then i'm i guess there'll be another season gotcha but there's plenty of anime that you watch where you just watch 10 or 11 episodes Mm -hmm. and that's the entirety of the show you don't have to watch anymore it's actually kind of like the genre built for you if you could stand watching cartoons yeah like all the time yeah i can't even stand watching most television anymore like i i have been watching that I guess it's a USA show that's on Netflix right now called The Sinner with Bill Pullman. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. 
And um, I'm I just finished the second season, which I think I only started watching the show. It's only eight episodes a season, but as I watched, started watching a Sunday, so I I flew through the first two seasons pretty quick, and I'll probably do the same with the third. Um, but it's fine. I mean, like if you like mysteries, like you can't solve the mystery. It's not one of those shows where it's like they give you enough in the first episode or two to like that you could actually solve it. But it's entertaining enough with twists to like keep you engaged on like you know trying to still try to figure it out um and good performances and interesting enough plots um to the seasons so um and i guess next week uh based on your recommendation i don't know if you just wanted to like mention that briefly is um the mayor of east town mayor of east town yeah yeah you said that's, um, really, that's really good oh yeah uh it's it's weird because like there's a lot of like heavy melodrama in it, but it's so realistically portrayed in the sense of like and it might just be unique to this area because like you know, growing up in the Philadelphia area, like just south of it and like working there for years and knowing people from there, like hearing like those accents and seeing historical landmarks and just places and they talk about like you know, like Ridley Township or Upper Darby or whatever, and you're just like, oh, right, of course. Like, mm-hmm. these places that I've been a hundred times in my life. Um, it it really kind of pushes... It's like when you watch The Wire and you get kind of the same feeling, like, hearing about stuff, like, in and around Baltimore. Right. Um, it just makes it feel more, like, grounded, I guess. Yeah. But there's at least, like, one or two times every episode where that show just fucking gets me. Like, it either makes me like really nervous or makes me really like sad or I don't know. It's, it's mostly her Kate Winslet's performance. And it is, um, is pretty fantastic. And Evan Peters is really good in it. And, um, what's his name? Uh, fuck. We were just talking about him the other day. Um, Guy Guy Pierce, Guy Pierce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really good performance in it. And just, I don't know. The other thing that's kind of cool too, is it's, it, it's got a mystery at its core, but it's much more just like a family drama with a mystery as the backdrop where it's mm. not like you're constantly like on the hunt for clues and stuff. I mean, that shit happens, but it also is like nobody bought any fucking batteries. So the flashlights don't work when the power goes out like that kind of shit. So, right. Um, and there's a really like sad family drama at its core between mayor. Um, the Winslet character and uh, the guy that played um Pam's Roy on uh the office the office. Oh yeah, uh huh. He's um he's Mayor's ex husband. Um, and they have a really great storyline like in the in the series and the stuff with their kids and their family and her mom. I just saw him the other night in um Greenland. Um the disaster movie um he had a small role in it and i was like who the fuck is this guy like yeah and i was like looked him up and i was like oh it's fucking roy <laughs> he's actually he's actually made a career of playing like scruffy blue collar like lovable dads because he's um in brightburn he plays the dad in that and he was in something else i just saw that's something a, that, I really enjoyed. Brightburn is something that Amazon has been trying to get me to watch for a year and a half, and I just can't do it. See, I don't. I've never recommended it to you because I don't know if you would like it. Mm-hmm. Like, I had some issues with it, but overall, I thought, um, I thought it was decent enough. Right. So I don't know. I mean, like, it's not a perfect movie, but for what it is and what it's trying to be, which is like a dark, like superhero origin. Yeah. Um, it's no worse than anything. Like it's in some ways just as good as some stuff they do in the boys or mm. <laughs> Invincible. And I think both those shows are better. But you know, for being like a horror movie. Right. Well, part of the problem I think is that like by the time I'm looking at Amazon at like, you know, twelve o'clock at night through half of the pandemic, um, I'm drunk enough where I'm like, I think it's uh that movie Bright um with will smith so mm, yeah it's definitely not that yeah it's a terrible fucking movie but <clears throat> so yeah so mayor of east town is um yeah, really that, worth watching I yeah i'm gonna watch it after it like ends this coming weekend so yeah definitely 
All right. Okay. All right. So yeah, one um one week closer to the end. <laughs> uh like you take that so many ways, yeah. Um <clears throat> yes, you're correct. One one week closer to the end. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Yep. Have a good night. <laughs>